holy name. Amen. Last week, we talked about the uh, triumphal entry of Christ into, the, into Jerusalem. And it was an exciting time. Everybody was yelling and screaming and doing all kinds of things because their Messiah had come. But we also know that that was just a short-lived thing. And Christ knew at that moment, yeah, they're cheering now, but he also knew that pretty soon, a few days later, there was going to be a mob that was going to be crying, crucify him. And yet he still went through with everything that he did, even though knowing what it was going to cost him. And I hope you spent some time this past week reflecting upon the death of Christ and everything that he did for us. I hope you did that. Now, we know that Christ knew how he was going to die. He knew everything that was going to be involved in that. And he, in Isaiah, he foretold that. In uh, Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, that's more or less the Masonic tells about how he's going to suffer. And it says he was taken from the prison and from judgment. And who shall declare this genera his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in death. Because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Now if you want to turn to the John 19th chapter. We're going to be in the 19th and 20th chapter this morning. But Jesus fulfilled that scripture to the T of everything that happened to him. He was judged. He was locked up into a, in a prison. And I've been there. I've seen where they held him in Caiaphas's house. I've seen that. I saw the, the things that they have opening up in the roof of the ceiling and the stone where they used to tie ropes up and they'd hang them there kind of like this while they're waiting for their, their sentence or whatever, their judgment. So I've seen all those things. But Jesus knew all those things that was going to happen to him. And in verse, uh, not John 19, starting at verse 31. Then the Jewish authorities asked Pilate to allow them to break the legs of the men who had been crucified and to take the bodies down from the crosses. They requested this because it was Friday, and they did not want the bodies to stay on the crosses on the Sabbath, since the coming Sabbath was an especially holy day. Now jump down to 38. After this, Joseph, who was from the town of Arimathea, asked Pilate if he could take <clears throat> Jesus' body, Joseph, who was a follower of Jesus, but in secret because he was afraid of the Jewish authorities, Pilate told him he could have the body, so Joseph went and took it away. Nicodemus, who at first had gone <clears throat> to see Jesus by night, went with Joseph. Taken with him about the two men, took Jesus' body and wrapped it in a linen cloth with spices according to the Jewish custom of preparing a body for burial. There was a garden in the place where Jesus had been, put to death, and in it there was a new tomb where no one had ever been buried. Since it was the day before the Sabbath, and because the tomb was close by, they placed Jesus' body in there. Now the Pharisees, they had had enough of Jesus. That triumphal entry that Christ had into Jerusalem, that was the final straw. They didn't care what it was going to take. They didn't care what this was going to have to do. They was going to get rid of this Jesus, because he had given them nothing but problems. And so they decided they're going to do whatever it takes. Well, they finally succeeded in getting Jesus killed. They'd done that, so they were celebrating that. But they wanted to get him buried as soon as possible because they wanted him out of their minds and out of their hearts and, and out of their sight. So they, they, they went to Pilate and said, break the legs of the bones, or bones so they can die. And they said, so take him down the cross because they wanted all the evidence gone. But when they got to Jesus, as we know, he was already dead. So they took him down. And now we see Joseph and we see uh, Nicodemus. 
finally going to Pilate. Now all of a sudden they're not secret followers of Christ. They're out there in the open. And they're asking for the body of Jesus. Now the Pharisees wanted Jesus to be buried like a criminal. He was crucified like a criminal and they wanted him buried like one. And to be buried like a criminal meant that she was thrown into a potter's field and buried in an unmarked grave. That's what they wanted for Christ. That's why they're in such a hurry to get rid of him. They didn't want any evidence. No one could even say where he was buried or anything. And that's what they wanted for him. But they went to, to Pilate and they begged for his body. Now I don't know whether it was because of their money, because Joseph was a very rich man and Nicodemus was very powerful in, in the community that he lived in. I don't know whether it was the, the combination of their power or their money or whether they would, Pilate was just mad at the Jews, the Jewish leaders, for making him kill Jesus because he really didn't want to. Pilate did everything he could trying not to kill Jesus. But ultimately, it was still his decision, so he has to suffer the consequences of that decision. So they went there and they right out in the open and begged for his body and took him down from the cross. Now the Jews treat their dead with, very, with the utmost respect. And there's no difference in the way they treat a poor man's body or a rich man's body. There's no difference because they respect the dead. So if you're rich, the only difference would be is the way, the way in which you're buried. That's the only difference that you'd have. If you was a poor, poor family, then they had like community uh, caves or community areas where you'd place your, bed, your dead, and then when they deteriorated, they'd gather the bones up and put them in a bone box, and they would have a family bone box or something in one of these areas. But if he was very wealthy like Joseph was, he was making himself a tomb. And that, the, the tombs were actually dug out of the side of the mountains there, into big rooms and big cave that was there. And that was what he was doing. And he was, had prepared that because his love for Jesus and he didn't want him to be born like, buried like a criminal, he gave him his own tomb. Now, that was quite, a, quite something to give away because when you're dead, you want to be remembered. And the bigger your tomb is, they can go by here and say, oh, this is where Joseph was buried. Oh, wow, isn't that exciting? He was a very powerful, powerful man. So everybody, time anybody went by there, they would remember him. So that was a way for them to keep their name right out there in front of the public for years and years to come. <clears throat> but he gave up everything that he had planned for himself for Jesus. And that's something that we got to do too, isn't it? we got a whole life of things that we've got planned for ourselves. Are we willing to give it up for Jesus? Are we willing to give it to him? They did. Now, after someone died, <clears throat> they weren't allowed to desecrate the body. They couldn't, you can't cremate a Jewish a Jew, and you can't perform an autopsy on them. So they took very good care of the, of the dead bodies. And they would wash them, and they would clean them. And the, who, the firstborn son was the one that was supposed to be the one that closed the eyes of the dead person. But, of course, Jesus didn't have, a, have a, any children. So I believe that Joseph or Nicodemus, one of those two, must have performed that. It had to be a close, close friend someone that really loved him or a relative. So I, they had to be the ones that did, uh, did that. And after they took him down for the cross, they put a, put a, a cloth over his head and they bound, well, they bound his jaw first so it wouldn't pop open or whatever. And a lot of other different things that they did to, to respect the dead. But because they were in such a hurry for Jesus to be taken down from the cross and buried that they didn't get a chance to, to wash his body. So they just wrapped him up in a linen cloth. And uh, it wasn't even his his own clothes. Usually they buried him in their own clothes or in their prayer shawl. That's why Jewish people are buried. But they didn't have either. And as you know that the Roman guards, off, soldiers, they're the ones that got all Jesus' clothes, so he didn't even get to be buried in his own clothes because he didn't have anything. They belonged to the Roman guards that 
crucified him. And then after the death, after they did this, then they would rip their, their clothes at the neck. If you really loved someone, that was a form of showing that you were mourning the death of someone. <clears throat> so that was the next thing that they did. And then they would have a procession to the, to the graveyard, kind of like what we do when we bury our dead. We have people line up and we, you know, we follow them to the graveyard. And that's kind of what happens in the Jewish tradition. They have music that, that plays, and they have uh, the family, and they have mourners. Now, if you're very wealthy, you could hire mourners. And the more, the more mourning that went on, the more powerful they thought that person was. My mother used to tell me, man, if I lived back then, I could be a good mourner. Because she could cry and she could carry on. <laughs> she said, I'd be rich if I could have lived back then to be a mourner. So they had professional mourners. <clears throat> but usually it was the family would follow them. And after that, as they carried the body to the final resting place, the last thing that they would do before placing him in, into their grave, wherever they was going to bury him or whatever they was going to do, was they would ask the soul of that departing person to forgive them for anything that they'd ever done. Does that sound familiar? We look in uh, Luke 23, 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was asking the forgiveness for what they had done to him so they wouldn't have to in that possession. He already asked God to forgive them of what they, were done, what they had done. And, I th and I've kind of looked at that, and I never really put that together without knowing and understanding the Jewish tradition of doing that. And Jesus says, hey, I'm already going to, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So he did that for us. <clears throat> and after that, then they would put him in the thing, in the tomb or wherever they was burying him, and it was kind of customary for the, for the mourners to show up or, or the family, whoever it was, for at least 30 days to either reanoint the body or go there to mourn for 30 days. That was the, the tradition of the Jewish culture. They never had morticians in Israel, and they still don't today. There's no morticians in, in Israel. What they do, they have a brotherhood of uh, people that bury people, and it's all paid for by donations. So if you die in Israel, you don't need to worry about a funeral because they'll provide it for you. It's a nonprofit type thing for anybody. And the, like I said, the only difference between the rich and the poor is where you get laid to rest. So <clears throat> now... This is when we come to the good part. Well, actually, it's all a good part, because if you're saved, we can't, have the, you know, we can't have resurrection without the crucifixion, right? So this is where we're going to pick up our story today in the, in the 20th chapter of John. So if you just want to turn over the, <clears throat> the page or whatever it is on your, on, in your Bible. Now, the Passover is over, because they had to get Jesus off the cross and in the tomb quickly because of Passover. And whoever touched Jesus' dead body was not allowed to celebrate Passover. So for Nicodemus and Joseph to be able to touch the body and do what they did was quite a sacrifice for, for the Jewish people back then. It'd be kind of like us saying, if I touch a dead body, I don't get to celebrate Christmas. I don't get no part of opening presents. I don't get no part of Christmas dinner. I don't get no part of nothing. That's kind of how to put that in perspective to what they were willing to do. They were willing to give up their Passover their holiest day that they had in order to touch Jesus' dead body and get him buried. <clears throat> so now, it's right after, as soon as, the, they could, as soon as the time frame was over, that the Passover was over, because they have a certain time that they do that, sunrise to sunset type thing on the Jewish calendar. It isn't like ours at midnight and 
noon, you know, a morning, afternoon type things. It was 6 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock at night, or sundown and sunrise. So Mary and a bunch of other women went to the, was going to go to the tomb. And they were going to finish the, the burial procedure, wash his body and re-anoint him and do all these other kind of things. And Mary wasn't the only one that was there, but I like the way that John gets into some things that we're not going to find in any other book of the Bible or any other the Gospels. So that's why I'm focusing on this, because I'm going to be focused on some things that happened to Mary specifically. And they went to the tomb. And as soon as they went to the tomb, the stone's gone. Now, I don't know how they thought that they were going to move that stone in the first place, but they had enough faith in, in them that somehow they'd find a way. They didn't care. Nothing was going to stop them. But they went there and the stone's gone. And man, they get panicked. They're panicked. Where's Jesus? Because as you know, in our society, for murderers, they, you'll give them an easier sentence if they'll tell us where the remains of somebody that they killed is. Because if you have the remains, if you have the body, then there's closure for the families. And without the body of Jesus, there was no closure for Mary. There was no closure for any of the other women that came. There was no closure for anyone. And of course, they didn't understand that Jesus was talking when he talked to them that he was going to rise from the dead. They didn't understand that. So man, I'll tell you, they get panicky and they get, oh man, the first thing they do is, man, we've got to go run and tell the disciples that somebody took him. And if you look down in, um, let's see, I guess we ought to read that first, huh? The first chapter. It says, early on Sunday morning while it was still dark. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been turned, taken away from the entrance. Now, on their way to the tomb, there's no way that they could have gotten to the tomb without passing by the cross. And there's no way we can get to the tomb without passing by the cross. And I'm sure that as they walked past the cross, they probably looked up there and maybe saw the empty cross and their hearts were breaking because the, the one that they loved had died there and all the emotions that were there. And they just probably might have stood there at the foot of the cross and just, you know, wished things would have been different. They didn't understand the significance of that empty cross at that time. The empty cross has turned into uh, the icon for Christianity. The world sees the cross as judgment. We see it as hope, don't we? They see it as a horror. We see it as beauty. Everything that, that we see is because of that empty cross. And they couldn't get there without going by that empty cross. And I'll tell you, that's exciting because the cross is empty. And you know what? It's still empty. I don't worship a Savior on a cross. I worship God that's on a cross that's empty because he rose from the dead. He didn't stay there. Hallelujah, and I'm excited about that. Verse 2. She went running to Simon and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and told them, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went to the tomb. The two of them were running, but the other disciple ran faster, and Peter reached the tomb first. He bent over and saw the linen clothes, but he did not go in. Behind him came Simon Peter, and he went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the cloth which had been around Jesus' head. It was not lying with a linen cloth, but it was rolled up by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. They did not understand the scripture which said that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back home. <clears throat> Mary came and said, the body's gone. 
We don't know what's happened to it. And they come running to the tomb not knowing. They're curious just like everybody else. What happened to it? And like us, we usually do. We don't believe anybody. People say, oh, yeah, maybe you didn't see him not quite right. <laughs> so they went running to the tomb. And it was just like they said, nobody. And they didn't really understand what Christ had said. Everything that he had told them about dying and raising from the dead didn't register to them. So they didn't know what was going on. But it said, John believed. As soon as he went in, he, he believed. But they still returned home, wondering what's going on here, like I would be if I went to the grave of, of where my mother was buried, and all of a sudden I went there, and the grave's all torn out, and all the dirt's out, and there's no, nothing down there, and the coffin's empty. I'm going to wonder what happened. That's kind of a, be a traumatic experience, especially when they've seen he was placed there. And that rock that was in front of it wasn't no little teeny thing. That was a huge stone, probably weighed 5,000 pounds. That was a big rock. And it was a big tomb that Christ was buried in. So the disciples go home at verse 11. <clears throat> Mary stood crying outside the tomb. And while she was crying, she bent over and looked in the tomb and saw two angels there dressed in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and the other at the feet. Woman, why are you crying? They asked her. She answered, they have taken my Lord away, and I do not know where they have put him. Mary's just kind of, she's just beside herself, not knowing what to do, and she's kind of probably wandering around at the tomb. And I've been to the tomb. And I've gone up and I've went into the tomb. So I've seen the empty tomb. And I can tell you that it's empty today too. Amen? There are some people that say that there's a, maybe there's another place where Jesus was buried. But I'll tell you, if you ever go over there and you walk into that tomb, if you had any doubt in your mind that this was the place, you would know it because your spirit would testify that this is the place that Christ was buried and rose from the dead. So it would be no doubt. Besides that, the other place is clear on the other side of town, basically, and it would have been a long trip for them to take Jesus there. Whereas the tomb is right there by the cross. Like I said, you have to go by the, the cross in order to get to the tomb. So, but that was there. So she sits there and she looks into this tomb. And now in, inside the tomb, as you walk in, over here on the right side, there's, uh, it's all dug out. And over here, right up here at the front or the back, as you walk in the furthest this way to the right, there's kind of a dug area dug out that looks kind of like a bed or a, a shelf of some kind that's been carved out of the area, and that's where Jesus would have been, been laying, is there. And the other ones were, they'd been working on them a little bit, but they haven't, hadn't finished them because they usually carve, carve out a, a bed-like thing for everyone in that family would be in that, would be in that tomb. So but they only had Jesus was the only one that was ready at that time, and so that's where they put it. So Mary looks into the tomb, and she sees two angels, one at the foot and the other at the head. Actually, it's probably this way be this way. His feet would have been this way because his head would have been this way because in the Jewish custom, the feet are always pointing towards the door. You never put the head away from the door. It's always toward the feet. So his feet was here and his head was up here. And here's the two angels, one sitting here and one sitting there. Now, I didn't hear anything in here about them saying, Mary, do not be afraid. I thought that was kind of unusual. Every time you see an angel, man, they're, they're always got to tell you, don't be afraid. But Mary was so distraught that she didn't even 
think to be scared or be afraid. And when we look at this scene, I don't want to rush by it because there's something here that we as Christians may miss. And I'm going to tell you what that is. And in order to understand this, we have to look into the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament, that thing that, you know, some people want to throw out. That thing, the Old Testament, the thing that don't matter anymore. Well, if you don't understand the Old Testament, you can't understand the New Testament. So I'm going to look at this and let you, get, let you in on something that I believe this represents. And you have, in Exodus, the 25th chapter, we have to go clear back there in order to, to get some meaning from this. <clears throat> Exodus 20, 25th chapter, starting at verse 17. And it says, And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall it be length thereof, and the cubits and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubim of gold, of beaten work, shalt thou make them. And in the ends and the mercy seat, and make one cherubim on one end, and the other cherubim on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the face of the cherubim be. And then Leviticus, the 16th chapter, starting with the 14th verse. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat, and he shall make an atonement for the holy place, because the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgression in all their sins, so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of the uncleanness. Now I got a picture here. Of the ark, I don't know whether you can see it or not. I'll kind of walk down here so you can kind of get it. This is what kind of what it looks like, the ark of the covenant. This is the ark, and this is the mercy seat on top of the, the covenant. The ark of the covenant. You see that? The ark of the covenant, the mercy seat's up here. Okay? Now, Now, with this in mind, I want to go back to this verse. Here we have two angels. And it says two angels. Usually, it's usually they've seen a man in white raiment. That's what you hear. But here it said it was two angels. Now, how would she have known they were angels? They had wings. And where were these angels? One was at the foot, and the other one was at the head. And I believe that they had their wings folded over that place like this and in between these two angels was the empty garments that Jesus was wrapped in the bloody garments of Jesus was between these two angels or the mercy seat if you oh that gives me oh that gives me (laughs) that gives me doodads and I, I never really thought about that till just lately and I thought wow You know, we just go right by that. But it's very important because Jesus' blood had to be put on the mercy seat. 
And there it was. There it sat with the angels there. So Mary got to see that. Why did Mary get to see that and no one else did? Why? Because she tarried. She tarried around the tomb. She was still looking for Jesus. She didn't know what happened to him. Man, she was just so distraught. She didn't know what was going on. But because she tarried, because she wasn't in a hurry to leave the service, if she'd been in a hurry to leave the Easter service, she would have missed it. I don't want to be in a hurry. Because if we just tarry, when we tarry, God honors that. And we get to get see things. We get to feel things. We get to other things that other people don't, may miss. Why? Because we tarry. And that's why Mary got to see this. It got to be such a bright blessing. And we sit there and we read, read about her in the Bible because of the things that she had done. She loved Jesus so much. And she gets to see this. I don't know whether she put it together at that point. I guess she didn't. Otherwise, she'd have been dancing all around that tomb. <laughs> but she, see, their eyes weren't opened until after the whole story of the gospel had been presented. Then everything fit into place. But as at this time, they didn't really comprehend everything that was going on. They didn't really understand everything that was going on. But she still tarried. And she was still looking for Jesus even though he wasn't anywhere to be found. And so that's when we get to uh, verse 14. Then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who is it you are looking for? She thought he was the gardener, so she said to him, If you took him away, sir, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary was looking for Jesus, and she just saw someone that her, she thought was the gardener. Now, I don't know why she didn't recognize Jesus. Maybe it's because she was crying so much, it's kind of hard to see through tears and to be able to make anything out. Or maybe it was something that he was wearing. Maybe he had a hood over his head. I have no idea. I don't know whether it was his clothing. Or maybe it was because of the scars that he had. Because, you know, Jesus is the only one that's going to have scars in heaven. So when we go to heaven, we're going to say, Jesus, let me see your hands. Let me see your feet. Let me see your side. And he can show them to us. Because he's the only one that's bearing the scars of this world into heaven. And he's bearing those scars for each one of us. And that might be why she didn't recognize him. Because they really mutilated Jesus. You read the description, if, if you ever want to, you know, all these people are into grotesque things at the movies and all the stuff they make. I'll tell you, this is one of the most gruesome ways for somebody to die that there was. The Romans were good at killing people, and they did it slowly. It usually took two weeks for people to die on the cross, and their half-dead bodies, the buzzards and things would come and just rip the skin right off of them during that period of time till they eventually were so weak they couldn't lift themselves up to be breathe because that's how they had to breathe. They had to lift themselves up on those nails in their, in their ankles in order to breathe. And then when they got weak, they'd come down. And then when they had to breathe again, they would just lift themselves up. That's why they wanted to break their legs so they couldn't lift themselves up and then suffocate. That was the reason. So he carried those scars. Now, I don't know how much of those scars are going to be. I just know there's going to be nail scars and there's going to be a, uh, a spear wound in his side. That much I know. I don't know about anything else, but that much I know. And so I don't know why she didn't recognize him. 
And then we go to, let's see, where are we at? Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and said in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Wow. Here's Jesus right after his resurrection. And I don't know what he, I don't imagine that hanging around the tomb was something he had, had planned, but he heard Mary's tears and her crying and her sobbing that she had. And it, Jesus, even though he would risen from the dead, he was still moved to compassion for her tears and her sobs and to her grief. He responded to that. And Jesus responds to our tears and our grief today too because that's his compassion. That's the way he is. And so he responded to this. And so maybe he had planned to do something differently, but because Mary was there weeping and she was crying and she wanted, was looking for Jesus. And when you look for Jesus, guess what? You find him. The reason people can't find Jesus today is because they're not looking for him. They're looking for a religion. They're looking for an easy way to heaven. They're looking for a works program that they can sign up for to get there. But they're not looking for Jesus. Or they're looking for their interpretation of who they think Jesus is. He's the God that gives me everything that I want. And I don't have to worry about getting sick. I don't have to have anything bad get, get, happen to me because I'm a Christian. Well, better read your Bible again. Because <laughs> Jesus went through a lot. And he says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So if we're looking for an easy life, Christianity isn't, isn't the choice to make, especially in the society we live in. And it's going to get worse. If we don't band together and start praying, things are going to get worse. I just pray every day, God, I know that all this stuff's got to happen, but it doesn't tell me it has to happen while I'm still here or while you're still here or why his body of believers are still here. I don't read anything that tells me all this bad, real, real bad stuff is going to happen while we're here. I don't know. Doesn't matter if it does, it does. I've already made my mind up. Doesn't matter how bad it gets, I'm going to be a Christian. And if they want to come in here and cut off my head or shoot me or whatever they want to do, hey, I'll be in heaven before the smoke clears. And so Jesus said, don't worry about those that can kill the body. Worry about the soul. Because that's where the life matters, is in the soul. So here she finds this gardener. And she wants to know, just tell me where it's at and I'll, I'll take him away. Now, I don't know how, Mary probably wasn't a very big woman. Might have been maybe big, big taller than I am. I don't really know. But I can't see her carrying a 175-pound man very far. And dead weight is dead weight, isn't it? I don't know, dead people, I don't know, they must gain 100 pounds when people die because I'll tell you, it's hard to move dead weight. <laughs> but she had enough faith, she didn't care, she loved Jesus, and no matter what had to, to happen, she would take him away. Because she had such a love for Jesus. And so she didn't know who this guy was. She just wanted him to help her find Jesus. But then Jesus says, in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And as soon as Jesus said her name, she knew who he was. She knew at that instant who it was. That it wasn't the gardener. This is Jesus. This is the one that I was looking for. It's Jesus. And man, I'll tell you, I'll bet she was beside herself because I would have been. And I sit there and I think about it. Man, how great would it have been to be the first name Jesus spoke after the resurrection to be your name? 
Wow, whoa, that's exciting. Of course, I'm just excited that one day Jesus called my name. He called my name. And I responded to that call. I responded to his voice and said, Lord, I accept you as my Savior. Thank you for dying on a cross. Forgive me of my sin. I responded to that name, to the one who called my name. And I know there's a lot of people here this morning that have responded when he's called your name. But there might be some here that haven't this morning responded to his name. But he's here this morning, and he wants to call your name. It's just a matter of, we've got to be listening for it. See, Mary was looking for Jesus. And so because she was looking for him, her, uh, her, everything about her was tuned towards that end, to finding Jesus. And so if we tune our ears to God and we turn our, eye, our ears and, and our eyes towards looking for him, then we will hear him. We'll hear him whisper our name. Because a lot of times, God doesn't speak in a loud voice. He probably could have just whispered very quietly and said, Mary. And it wouldn't matter because she was tuned to his voice. And if we listen very carefully and we tune our ears, we'll hear him calling our name. And ask you, say, hey, I'm alive. And I want to save you. I'll tell you, it makes, it's very exciting to be the first one to have heard his name. And in verse 17, it says, do not hold on to me. Jesus told her, because I have not yet gone back up to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them I am returning to him who is my father and their father, my God and their God. Now this seems like an awful weird scripture to me because it says, Mary, don't hold me. I mean, man, I'll bet Mary had a bear hug on Jesus and she wasn't letting go. We know that Joseph wrestled with the angel and prevailed. Well, I'll tell you, this little woman all of a sudden had a lot of strength about her and she wasn't letting go. And Jesus says, do not hold me. Let go of me. Now, why in the world would Jesus say this? Is it because he didn't want to be touched? Doesn't make any sense because later on in the, in the chapter, we find out that he appears to Thomas and the disciple and says, here, put your fingers in the nail prints. Put your hand in my side. So it doesn't make any sense. Was Jesus just being discriminated or he didn't want no mere woman touching him? That doesn't make any sense. Have you ever thought about that? Why he's telling you, let go, and here, here, have you want, whatever you want, touch wherever you want, go ahead. Doesn't make sense. But then we got to realize this was right after the resurrection. And we looked and we know that the mercy seat was there. When we walked in the tomb, there's a, there's a mercy seat there. A makeshift mercy seat, because they didn't know where it was, because when the temple was destroyed, or the, when they come back from captivity, it wasn't there. The mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant wasn't in the temple at Jesus, of Jesus' day. And so here was this one, this, this mercy seat that God created specifically with the angels and that. But see, there's also in heaven everything that the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the temple, everything was made and designed to replicate what was in heaven. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll find that because he, he told Moses, make this an exact duplicate of what's in heaven. Now, I don't understand why they need all this stuff. I don't understand why God needs a temple in heaven. I don't understand why he needs all the stuff that's up there, but he did for some reason. And I believe that Jesus, right after his resurrection, he was going to go into that temple as the ultimate high priest. And he was going to take the blood that he had shed for you and me on the cross, and he was going to sprinkle it upon the mercy seat that's in heaven. Because heaven had been polluted when Lucifer fell. 
It had been polluted. So Jesus took his blood and he presented it to the Father upon the mercy seat. And that's where he was going when he heard Mary's tears. He was going to present the blood, his blood, on the mercy seat in heaven to cleanse that realm of heaven. And I believe that that's what we see here. That's what we see that's transpiring. And if we don't dig deep and we don't understand what's going on in the Old Testament, we can't understand a lot of things. So we miss a lot of stuff because we don't dig into it and find out, God, what are you saying here? Because there's probably a group of people say that, see, Jesus doesn't like women. It's okay to, for a man to touch him, but he didn't want no woman touching him after he raised from the dead. You can make, yeah, there's scripture that says that. But why? You've got to dig through the whole thing. And the story of Christ is from Genesis to Revelation. It's not just one verse that we pick out here and we pick out there. We've got to know the whole thing. And Jesus came and he fulfilled everything that the Old Testament said he would do. And he knew from the day that he was born, he was born to die. He was born to be a sacrifice for you and for me. And he gave the first resurrection message was given by a woman. Hallelujah. I like that. Woo! <laughs> I like that. Woo I'll tell you, this woman made pretty good preachers. <laughs> and she was the first one to deliver the words. I've seen Jesus. I've seen the resurrected Lord. Hallelujah. What a joy that was for her. But see, that same joy we have today, too. Because he's still alive. They tried to get rid of him, but they can't. You can't hold down God with a rock. <laughs> and the only reason the stone was moved, not because so Jesus could get out, but so we could get in and see. Because we have to see it. They had to see it with their eyes back then. Not us. God says we're specially blessed if we believe without seeing. We have the resurrection message here this morning. That Jesus died on a cross for our sins and whoever will may come. Whoever will may accept Christ as their personal Savior. Whoever will can have their life changed and made new. We all have that option this morning. The question is, are we going to give the message? Are we going to let society dictate to us what we're going to do and what we're not going to do? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Well, this is the best day. Why not Easter Sunday? Wow, what a glorious day to be able to sell, celebrate your new life on the day we celebrate the raising of Christ from the dead. With heads bowed and eyes closed, or is there anyone here this morning that you'll say, you know, I've heard the, the Easter story, I've heard this time and time again every year, but I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. But I want to today. Is that you this morning? Are you here today? If you raise your hand, is that you? Okay. Okay. How about the rest of you? Maybe, maybe you've heard the Easter message, and it isn't as vibrant in your heart, and some of the life has gone out of the message, but you want that life to be renewed. You want the joy of the resurrection to fill your soul and to fill your body. Is that you today? Is the light gone a little bit dim in your life? Anyone here this morning? Oh, praise you, Lord. Thank you. Okay, precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you.